what really gets my dick hard is Let's talk about the zone for a minute. Okay, there is a way to help a person, get a persons get in a zone. To, I mean, you could consider seriously doing some meditative or apply the meditative principles to music. All right. I don't want this to sound too way out, but if you if you do that, the four of you are out there, and you do it anyway unconsciously. You do a you, you do a musical meditation by starting to, to jam with each other. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And we're at episode 48, a continuation of last week's episode. We are uh, doing our part two here of Some Kind of Monster. Yep. And uh, like we said last time, there's just so much to talk about. We wanted to really do it justice, do it service. Yep. So we split it up into two. That's right. And it gives us another excuse to camp out in Some Kind of Monster land. Yeah. And camp out in at Metal Up Your Podcast HQ. At HQ1. Yeah, yeah. We're both in town. And I think uh, for the next indefinite amount of time we're both going to be actually in nashville doing these yeah, things it's amazing what a treat and we've heard from a lot of you that prefer that when you know me and clint are together so uh yeah we've heard from about six thousand of you regarding yeah at least one specific issue yeah one issue yeah we got a lot of emails about it yeah. so we're, we're here to provide for you so clint and i are back together if you don't know who we are we're an all metallic podcast my friend here ethan luck and i are professional musicians so and uh, we decided to put this together because we love this band. And if you're listening to this, I'm sure you do too. It's a really exciting time to be a Metallic fan. The new record, the new world tour, yeah, all of that stuff. So we're glad you're on the ride with us if you're joining us for the first time. Uh, that's all we have to say about that. Yeah. I guess. And what's cool is we're actually, I mean, every week we get emails of new people discovering our podcast, right. whether it's through another podcast or through a friend or something. And people are like binge listening to our episodes. It's pretty cool. Which I'm half flattered and I'm half just curious about the mental health <laughs> yeah. of some of these yeah, people. Yeah, because this is episode 48. <laughs> Plus there's, you know, bonus episodes in there and revisited and stuff. So it's a lot of shit to listen to if you're uh, if you're new to the, the to the ride. But uh, we're, we're thankful you're here. No, and we love our fans. We love our listeners a lot. And Ethan and I are constantly talking about how to try to make the show special for our listeners. Yeah. So you've heard us talk about it before if you've been on the ride with us for a minute. But one of the things we're trying to do to make this experience as special for our listeners as we feel it is, is we're doing this iTunes contest. Yeah. What that is, is if you go leave us a positive review on iTunes, doesn't matter what country you're from, we can now see all that information. Oh, yeah. We're going to put your name into a list and every month, Ethan and I, through the generous donations of our patrons, we're going to give away uh, prizes. Yeah. This Pretty month, sweet prizes. Well, this month for November, we're giving away the brand new, just came out this week, I believe, the Master of Puppets Deluxe box set. Yeah, it's pretty is, epic. If you haven't seen it, where the hell have you been? Yeah. Oh, it's pretty amazing. It's about 200 bucks, and it's it's vinyl, and it's remasters, and it's all these live records and yeah. special stuff. and So that's our big granddaddy prize. We've also got a Master of Puppets blanket, some Master of Puppets uh, pint glasses and yeah. flasks. And we're going to actually try to do this 
once a month. Oh, yeah. Yeah, different kind of contests, whether it be uh, through iTunes, like doing reviews, or uh, we'll eventually maybe do an Instagram contest, a Twitter contest, right. Facebook, things like that. So, And we're going to draw the name at the end of the month. We're going to draw five names. Now, after those five names get drawn and those people claim their prizes, they're out of the big running, and we're going to do these once a month, right? So yeah. your chances of winning are pretty good, and all you got to do is leave us that review. So right. we're not going to beg you to do it. We're just going to, you know, we're asking that you might take the time. If you want to take the time, you could win a prize. How about that? Yeah. Take time with a wounded hand because it likes to heal. <laughs> uh, another thing that we did, we did do a contest this week where we did a, uh, uh, our listener, uh, Brady Trantham, had an idea on Twitter, which you guys should go follow us on Twitter because we, we yeah, do we're there shit too. every day. Uh, but he had the idea of what would a load reload medley look like, similar to the kill ride medley right? Yeah. or to the master terium medley that, they, that the boys do. And so I, I put it out to our, uh, our Twitter followers and said, you guys come up with a five song medley that you would like to see them do live and give us a retweet. We'll pick one of the winners. And we did. Yeah. The winner is congratulations uh drum roll please our winner this week is tristan corb yeah tristan nice there you go tristan and uh, we're so proud of you as a little treat i've put together a little clip of now this is tristan's imagining of a load reload medley and here it is
stays right by my side Pretty rad. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. We're going to try to do some more, though. So what Tristan won is he won a Metal Up Your Podcast t-shirt. Congratulations. So Tristan, write in. Come find us on Twitter or email us, uh, Metal Up Your Podcast Show at gmail.com, and we will send you that free t-shirt, and that's how easy it is. Look how easy it is. Tristan is now going to sport a Metal Up Your Podcast t-shirt for free. And he's going to wear that shirt and only that shirt. Yeah, forever. Don't wash it. No, no, no. impossible. Gotta wear that thing in. <laughs> well, uh, mentioned, uh, Clint mentioned before, but you know, uh, all these things we're getting are through the generous donations of our patrons. So, speaking of that, uh, if you haven't heard of Patreon and uh, you know heard us talk about it before, it's a way to give back to the show, fin- kind of financially support the show. There's different tiers. We've talked about our EP, things like that. Um, you can get a lot of cool stuff through there. So, we have some new patrons this week. We got quite a few here. We have uh, Chris Newell. Mark Ferguson, Adam, oh God, Sjöberg, Sjöberg, Adam Sjöberg, 
Robert Smith, I think that's Robert Smith of The Cure. Oh, it's definitely Robert Smith from The Cure. Yeah, I think you're right. He's a huge fan. <laughs> uh, and then we got uh, Scott uh, Daubner. Congrats, guys. Man, thank you guys so much for... for I just say, I just congratulated Congratulations them. for supporting the show. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for being new patrons. We really appreciate it. And uh, again, go check out Patreon. We got some cool stuff on there. Patreon.com slash Metal Up Your Podcast. Yeah, and similar to the contest, you know, that we're trying to incentivize you guys to be more uh, interactive with us. Um, we have other incentives over at Patreon, too. One of them being an EP that Ethan and I are recording of Metallica covers. So all that's very cool. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Metal Up Your Podcast. Go check it out. Do I, it. Listen, I know all of you out there are just fucking glued to your computers all day, every day, <laughs> watching YouTube clips of God knows what. He does. Just open up a new tab and go check us out and check it out. Yeah. If you're like me. If you're like Clint, who hangs out on Patreon all day long. And you're just, Go check it out. And, and if you can take a break from the German pornography for one second. <laughs> German pornography. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, all this stuff is just ways for us to have more fun when we're not recording the show and you're yeah. not listening on Monday. So yeah. go check it all out. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're, we're there. We're on all of them. We read a few. We've, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we've whittled the emails down to five a week. Yeah. Much to the, I'm sure there are fans of ours in Japan right now are celebrating that news, but. Oh yeah, totally. They are. We've whittled it down to five. We get a lot more than five or 10 or even 15 or 20, but we, we're trying to whittle them down. One of the things you get if you're a patron is you get uh priority emails read. So that's right. Yeah. All of our emails this week are from patrons. That's awesome. And with that, we'll get into some emails. You want to start us off? I would love to start us off, Clint. All right, our first email is from Chris Nelly. I like that you put in you put in the notes how to pronounce it. Yeah, but I think that's kind of an endearing part of our show. Is usually me fucking up someone's last our name. Our inability to say names. Yeah. All right. So so Chris Nelly. Now, if you hadn't put that, I would pronounce this Chris Newell. It's yeah. It's spelled like Newell. Newell. The first Newell. <laughs> the first Nelly. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, hey, Clint and Ethan, I've been listening to your show since the first episode, and I love what you do. I just pledged you guys on on Patreon because I love I love your podcast so much. Tru- uh, truly and oh my gosh, truly and on- I think you meant to say and honestly. No, truly and honest and interesting take. Every well, you week. said truly and, and then a n. It's truly and honest and interesting take. Truly and right. No, he's saying it's truly an honest and interesting take. Oh, it is truly an honest. Okay, see, English wasn't my uh, my my strong suit in high school, as okay. you can tell right now. So, hmm. anyways, he says, "I love your podcast so much. Truly, an honest, and interesting take every week on the greatest metal band ever." I'm relatively <clears throat> relatively young, uh, just graduated college, and I've only been a Metallica fan for about a year. But I can tell uh, that my love for them will continue on for a very long time. Uh, I took a class called The History of Politics of Heavy Metal. Wow, interesting. That's um, so metal, by the way. It's so metal, <laughs> yeah. A- uh, I took the class last year, and uh, the second time I've heard the fury of songs like Fire, Fire with Fire and Dire's Eve and the emotion behind Fade the Black and other deep cuts. I knew Metallica was something special, and, um, and I've been uh, listening ever since. Well, look at that. School does do good things in the world. It really does, yeah. I'm not in it, but good for you. <laughs> That's a rad... I would love to take that class. If yeah, I could that, take one class... Is that class, what they're doing in school now? Like... Yeah, there's a class that has anything to do with heavy metal. Maybe I should go back to school. Shit, should we go? Let's T- go, let's go right now. <laughs> <laughs> T- 
Me and Clinton are going to become frat boys. Oh, God. Um, become. <laughs> become. Blossom or, into. Blossom into, exactly. Um, <laughs> Chris goes on to say, um, I would say my favorite record as of now is Ride the Lightning, with Puppets and Justice closely following behind. Ride the Lightning is truly a masterpiece, and I don't think that uh, there's one weak song on that record. I agree. Um, I'm trying to keep an open mind as I move through the load-reload era, which are great albums, but to me it just doesn't compare to the earlier stuff. Hopefully with more listens, uh, Load and Reload will start to grow on me. Anyways, I wanted to share my Metallica sediments with you. And, and tell you to keep up the good work on the podcast. Also, don't stop doing the Mustaine voice, Papa or Hulk Hogan. All three are damn funny. Yours in metal, Chris. Well, good news for you, Chris. I don't think any of those characters are going away anytime soon. In fact, we're going to visit some of them on this very episode. I think you're right. Our next email is from Scott Dobner, or Daubner, however you say that. Hey, Clint and Ethan. Uh, well, I finally caught up on all the episodes. I discovered your show at the end of September and have been binge listening ever since. Wow. Absolutely love the show and all the great insight you guys give to the greatest band ever. I discovered Metallica in the summer of 86 when I was only 11. My older stepbrother brought over Master of Puppets and I was hooked ever since. My first time seeing them was in the summer of 92 and I've seen them a total of 25 times since. Damn. Unbelievable. I can't wait to see them again, hopefully on an arena tour next year. Keep up the great work on the podcast, and if y'all are ever in the Austin area anytime soon, look me up and some beers will be on me. Thanks for taking the time to read my email, Metallica Rules. Nice. Thanks, Scott. 25 times. Unbelievable. I'm at, I'm at three. I'm, all, I'm at four. <laughs> it kind of makes me feel shitty. Well... It's you know it's tough when we tour for a living you yeah. know the, the times that Metallica has been either in California or Tennessee when, when I've lived in those places that's true I've been gone like when they played here and they brought Lemmy out I was out of town well and this is the first time they've toured since I've kind of been as excited about them I mean, yeah I, I I was excited about Death Magnetic but I was in a different stage of my life and I was touring a shit ton then right but then you know they didn't do much after that the, yeah other than the Orion stuff you yeah. Know? Well, well, anyway, thanks for sharing your Metallica story with us, Scott. That's really yeah, badass. Yeah, thank you, Scott. That's awesome. Our next email is from, again, another patron, Adam, how'd you say it? Sjöberg. Sjöberg. Hey, guys. Adam from Sweden. From Sweden! From Sweden! <laughs> Adam from Sweden here. Just listened to uh, your Some Kind of Monster episode. Awesome. Can't wait for the part two. Gotta say, I went back and listened to Load and Reload. I now have binge on those album for uh, albums for... Uh, two or three weeks, and I've got to say, I fucking love them. You know what we need to do? We need to get James and Lars to go back and listen to Load and Reload. It's true. Because we've gotten a lot of feedback that, that you know, our encouragement has gotten people excited about those records. Yeah. I think Lars and goddamn James need some of that flavor, too. I think you're right, yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, got nothing more to say than rock the fuck on. Love you guys. Also, if you're ever in Skovde. Um, Sweden, hit me up and I will buy you a Starkol. Starkol. He said in parentheses, that's a beer. Oh, well, thank God. <laughs> up the horns, Adam signing out from Skovde, New Jersey, of course. Well, he's not that far away. It's not that far. It's a quick, easy flight. It's just right, right, right across the island. Take the, take the New Jersey <laughs> transit from Manhattan. We'll get there. Totally. Uh, thanks, Adam. We have a lot of listeners in Sweden. That's cool. It's very cool. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Our last email is from yet another patron of the show, Ryan Enderlied. Lead? Ryan Enderlied. Enderlied. He says, great show in part one of Some Kind of Monster. I remember watching that with a good friend of mine and being blown away. We were huge Metallica fans and had listened to all of Metallica's music up to that point on repeat. Uh, we had no idea that they were going through what they were going through at the time or what they were like outside of playing shows. It was so good to get a closer look at the band. There are some intense moments in the documentary and it made me wonder 
what it was like before they started recording St. Anger. We got to see some of it with the year and a half in the life, but I've always wanted to see more. Well, there's various... There's a pretty cool documentary called A Day and a Half in the Life of Metallica, and it's them in the load reload sessions going over to the UK for a week of shows. And I would recommend checking that out. You kind of get to see what they were like then. Oh yeah. Uh, He says, do you guys think that the band, uh, the bad songwriting of St. Anger was the difference that made Metallica nearly fall apart. If they'd been writing better music, maybe James wouldn't have been in a quote unquote shit mood. And Lars wouldn't have been picking at him constantly. I realize James's addiction problem played a big role in all this, but what if, but was it really anything new other than the fact that he now had a family? I think the big issue there was the lack of good music coming from James and Lars, and perhaps Jason too, since Jason hadn't really contributed as much since the Black Album. Maybe James and Lars were running out of ideas, and Kirk wasn't really coming up with anything good to make up for that. Well, that's all interesting. I mean, I I don't know if, if that that that's so you could, you could say that's the root of the problem. I think I think it's a a big stew of things that that happened. I, but I I do think that even if they were writing good music, maybe James would be more excited. However, he was still battling some heavy demons at that point in his life. Well, here's one of the things that Bob Rock said that I thought was interesting. Is he said that by that time they were all married and starting families, right? Yeah. And he said it took them getting into real serious relationships to realize that they didn't really know each other. Yeah. As a band. Yeah. So I think it was a sort of perfect storm. Yeah, but, I, mean, I think you're right. It does show that they're not excited about the music. And it, it is interesting to think if they'd really been... Like, let's say they had a song as good as... As exciting as Inner Sandman. Yeah. During all this other turmoil. Would that have been enough to kind of... Maybe. Push them through if they had a song that was that exciting? Yeah, who knows? I mean... But they also went into that record, you know, in a whole different way. They were all it was more of a collaborative effort rather than just James and Lars kind of honing in on what songs are going to do and all that stuff. Right. They, I mean, they had, a, they had old Phil booked as their therapist before they started. Yeah. It was like, that was happening. They, they, bo- they booked, yeah, they booked Phil, I think even before Jason officially quit. I mean, I think they booked Phil yeah. to help with Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Jason talks about it in the documentary. He's like, you know, we're the biggest band. We right. can't fucking deal with this, right. you know? So I think, I think a lot of this was brewing before they even got together to, record and write songs the more i think about it the more just i'm amazed that they had cameras rolling when all this shit was hitting the fan and i'm more amazed uh after re-watching this numerous times and doing these episodes that there's still a band yeah it's insane all right he, uh ryan goes on to say by the way i'd love to hear you guys talk about the time period between saint anger and death magnetic how did metallica handle all the criticism from saint anger how did it take so long for them to want to redeem themselves by putting out another great album like death magnetic I think a lot of people, including myself, kind of stopped paying as much attention to Metallica during this time, so it's a piece of their history that's unknown to me. Well, the success of the documentary probably helped, and let's yeah. not forget, it went number one in 30 countries. It still did. It was still a huge record. I don't know if they really... I think they they embraced the criticism later. I do, too. Um, I mean, there's a video on uh, I've, I've seen around uh, you know on YouTube and stuff of, of Lars in a meet and greet, and some guys brings a snare drum for him to sign mm-hmm. and he turns it off and he goes ting 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 yeah. saying anger turns it back on black album he's poking fun at himself obviously but i think that you know i mean they're big boys they were like yeah we made a record that isn't that great but they also answered it by not really playing those songs live they did for a bit on the madly and anger with uh with the world tour they only played two songs two which is real telling and and real crazy and uh, but i think that they it was such a the whole time was such a mind fuck that I, I yeah. think they've kind of felt like, well, this is a document of, of a really painful but therapeutic and helpful time for us. So 
the record is special to them for different reasons. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's just so personal. Yeah. Um, let's see. He says, thanks and keep the shows coming. If you're ever in Kansas City, Missouri, New Jersey, I'll buy you some good barbecue and beer. That's very kind of you, Ryan. Thank you so much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes the emails. Concludes the emails. I'm going to go ahead and say something really quick. I want to hear it. We actually whittled that down one less. That was only four. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that was that, that's a uh, <laughs> that's a co-host error Dude, on my part. It's about time you got less emails. The emails, uh, they're too long. I timed them. Seriously. I clocked them on my... I have a stopwatch that yeah. I got from Radio yeah, Shack. exactly. And the emails are too long. I'm so glad you did four instead of five. Clint's got to go. And reload socks. <laughs> So, so before, so if you listen to our last episode, and I hope you did, uh, we kind of cut off at the half point mark. Yeah, and we kind of went through the film and we inserted clips to contextualize what we're talking about. In between today, right now, currently, yeah. and our last episode, I reread Joe Berlinger's book, "This Monster Lives." Yeah. which if you don't know about it, it's a book about the making of some kind of monster. And I last read it in, um, I think, 2011. Okay. Um, which, you know, six years ago. And I had forgotten how insightful it is. So I reread it. I made some notes. And what I'd like to do, with your permission, uh, is just sort of camp out a little bit in some of the things I learned from the book in the first half yeah. of the film before we jump into part okay. two. Uh, I decline. <laughs> so, sorry. Um, we're going straight back into... Oh, thank you so much for asking. The answer is no, by the way. It's very kind of you to ask. And I, I'm only <laughs> doing that because I love you. So... <laughs> Um, so, I, you know, I kind of organize these into pre-rehab, during rehab, and then, of course, I have, like, we're going to camp out in Dave Mustaine land. Right. In Phil Tao land, just because just there's some insight in the book. I will say the book has softened me a little bit on Phil. Okay, okay. Softened me a little bit on Dave. Have you bought, have you bought a sweater? I'm now wearing a, a triple, triple X size large Cosby, yellow Cosby sweater. Oh, gorgeous. You, you guys can't see him, but I can, but, but Clint looks I've got, outstanding. I've got, um, 25 pound bags under my eyes. I've combed my hair in a very disheveled way. You know, I'm carrying myself the way a man might if he's cashing $40,000. He's also carrying a thing of post-it notes right now. <laughs> Oh, are I've you ready to zone it? You ready to zone oh, it? Oh, dude, I'm zoning it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm going to sort of just, so they're loosely organized. So forgive me. I, I could, I just didn't have time to make this into you are God, forgiven. To, to goddamn read the novel to you guys. But I kind of wanted to just make some of these statements and then sort of see if it sparks any interesting stuff. So, um, I did want to reiterate that the original plan for this movie, and this sounds so strange to me, was to be a two hour-long infomercial, two, two different infomercials each an hour long that would play late at night where they would basically flog Metallica's back catalog via a toll-free number. Doesn't that sound so weird? It's it it's it doesn't sound like something that would happen in the 2000s. Yeah, it's like... It sounds very 80s, early 80s, 90s. 90s yeah. yeah. And it sounds so weird to see... Toll-free. Call toll-free right now. 1-888-Metallica. <laughs> 1-888-Master of Puppets. <laughs> 188 death style <laughs> it's just so strange but and that and that when that looked like that wasn't going to happen yeah because they just kept filming because shit kept happening they 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 at one point i think one of the electra um representatives said we have the next osborns 
that's when the reality show thing right kind of idea came up right and they were going to pitch it to they were first going to pitch it to Showtime and it fell through then it was going to go to VH1 can you imagine if that went through I'm so glad it did I mean I mean th- this documentary is definitely a bit of a reality show it has it has obviously those elements but unscripted right and I don't know I think if like 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 when the the Osbournes was out, like I remember enjoying it, and I thought it was ridiculous and hilarious, and this and that. It was funny to see Ozzy like trying to deal with his teenage daughter and stuff. But then it it kind of leaves you with like a, a a bit of lack of respect for that person. You're like, wait, you're you're the Prince of Darkness. I was gonna actually say Prince of Darkness. I mean, and not that not that there's anything wrong with sort of mythology around that being shattered. Like I yeah. think that's okay. I think the best parts of it were when it seemed like there were sincere family moments happening. Sure, yeah. But the whole, like, he's an old man who can't understand. His whole, like, where's the fucking remote control? That was that was my British. That was like Papa and Vegan Ethan combined as Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a bummer. And I, and I think maybe what their thought was, oh, we're going to do the Osbournes, but instead of it being campy, it's going to be gritty. Right, yeah. That was going to be their kind of spin on it. But it still would have made them a joke. Uh, it, it 100% it would have, yeah. It would have sealed the deal on the Spinal Tap Metallica. Well, a lot of people even looked at the documentary as it is now as a joke. Right. Like, this is a joke. I can't watch this or right. whatever. My, my favorite band is falling apart and I can't right. do this, you know. Another interesting thing I learned from the book is, so Joe Berlinger and uh, Bruce Sanofsky had... They had pitched to Metallica an idea about doing some sort of type of film in 1999, and they said that the one dude most open to being filmed was Jason. Really? They said that he said you can... He, the idea obviously never happened, as we know. Yeah. But he had told them, if it happens, you guys can film me backstage talking to fans. You might even come, come to my house and film me in my house. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's interesting that you know, he was so open to that. Well, that I mean, he's, he, he comes across as a very transparent dude. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's, so. He's probably been the most fan-friendly guy in Metallica. Well, it's crazy that he agreed to be in the film even after he split. And and I, I have some more details about yeah, that, yeah. too, that are pretty fascinating. Um, it, I, I found it interesting that one of the biggest challenges for them was winning over the road crew. As filmmakers, as guys who were kind yeah. of always up in Metallica like shit. Like the, dude, the dudes that work for Metallica on the road and are also in the studio. They were like very protective. Guitar, guitar techs and yeah. things like that. Okay, And, and they eventually did. But they, you know, Metallica is a band that's been so big for so long that their road crew is so used to, you know, every show there's publicity and there's photography right, yeah. and, or there's, or some local things doing a thing. Yeah. And so it was challenging for the filmmakers who ended up being in this two, three year process, very intimate with Metallica. Yeah. Yeah. Basically winning their trust. I thought that was interesting. Man, that's you crazy. You don't see any of that in the film, but. No, you really only see one of the texts when like Robert's looking, you know, he's getting a five-string bass from or whatever. Oh, like, I reckon they have five, six hundred guitars. Yeah, not, not goes, all of them are here. Rob goes, wow. Well, wow. He, goes, he goes, I guess he thought this was a pretty good joke, but he goes, well, when Jason left, he took all his basses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't sound anything like that, by well, the way. Well, when Jason left, he took all his basses, you see? Well, see here now. <laughs> well, you see, he uh, took all his basses, didn't he? Yeah, he took them, didn't he? Yeah, see? Yeah, he took them, didn't he? He did them. Uh, yeah, boss, he took them. <laughs> Yeah, boss. Uh, yeah, boss. Yeah, we're gonna give a new pair of shoes. See, <laughs> a pair of cement shoes. The last shoes I'll ever wear. See, you see. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's tickling me. <laughs> oh, it's it's ticklish. Joe mentions that. Speaking of zoning it, an old Philly Phil Phil towel. Joe mentions that one of the first mistakes he made during the filming of the because apparently Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky were not 
on great terms. They were in a very rocky place themselves. Going going into this? Yes. Oh, okay. As professionals. Because Joe Berlinger split from Bruce to go do Blair Witch 2, which is one of the most hated films of all time. I've never seen it, but I'm sure you have. It's real rough. It's the first rough one was good. Well, the first one kind of changed everything. The first yeah. one was really important. Yeah. Second one was a fucking nightmare, and that's this director. That's <laughs> this dude. So he's kind of coming back in this relationship. He's not feeling it. So he says the first mistake he made. So Phil's kind of picking up on it, and he did a he did a one on one session with Phil. Really? And he talks about how it was a mistake because because he did that, it gave Phil the strange power. Okay. Because Phil kind of knew what was going on with him psychologically and personally, and that caused tension later between them. Crazy. Yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah. Very. Wow. You, you guys need to check this book out, man. It's it's pretty dope. And now, I, I will say, like, I feel like a, a shitty Metallica fan here. Like, I have actually not read this book. Yeah, I recommend it. Oh, well, can, hey, can I borrow it? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I thought that was fascinating. And uh, he, so something else came up later. So Lars is really good friends with Sean Penn. And Sean Penn was in the studio hanging. And when they were finished wrapping up, Lars invited Joe, the director, to go drinking with him and Sean. Oh, wow. And he was like, man, if I hadn't have kind of like fucked up with Phil, I might have gone and done it. But kind of making that mistake, I didn't want to make a similar mistake by getting too close to them. Right, yeah. You know, I wanted to keep a, some, a professional vibe, right? Yeah, he, I mean, he probably still would regret it. Like the next morning, I was like, damn, it, that would have been so fun to go with Sean Penn and Lars. Well, I'll say this. I'm a big fan of Sean Penn. I think he's a, a wonderful actor. Not a guy I want to hang out with. I would hang out with him just out of curiosity. He's very intense and cerebral. Yeah, and, I, w- I would like to hang out with him just to know that I don't want to hang out with yeah, him. Yeah, I know? don't see a lot of laughing in that future. Yeah. I don't think he would appreciate my Spicoli impression. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Han? I know that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but Mr. Han, I've been thinking about this. If it's your time and it's my time, isn't it our time? Oh, you're right. <laughs> That's where he hands pizza out to everybody else. Yeah. You dick. You dick. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know we're just kind of like speed bulleting these. Is that okay? Uh, guys, is it okay? Can you hear us? All right, cool. Yeah, everyone's cool with it. What if Torben just floated like a little angel, like a little Torben angel on my shoulder? It's okay. It's, it's okay, Clinton. <laughs> you do your thing. Okay. Uh... There's some. Remember, we talked before about when did they decide that it was going to sound shitty, essentially shitty. I wish that okay, and and because you've read this book and I haven't, maybe maybe there is some you know clarification here or not. But I wish that there was something in the documentary where they, for sure, there was a conversation about the snare drum at least. Yeah, there was. Well, he forgot to turn it off. He forgot to turn the snares... Or forgot to turn it back on? Forgot to turn the snares back on. Yeah. And so when he heard the playback, he described it as a beautiful a beautiful singing to him. Oh, that's right. King, oh, king, gosh. King! But hey, Clint, I'm going to sing to you real quick. King, king, king! Isn't so, that beautiful? So all the, all the therapy sessions before HQ was built, which is basically before James went to rehab, were done at the Ritz-Carlton. That's all those scenes you see in the Ritz-Carlton are pre-rehab. Right. And uh, it's in one of these sessions that Lars says... They're talking about how they're being more vulnerable and how it's going to affect the music. And Lars says, I can't really hear much of the record yet, but the words brutal and ugly and fucked up come to mind. We've had some fun with a lot of blues-based stuff and backbeats, but I just hear ugliness, real ugliness. Which, if you heard him say that and you hadn't heard the songs, you might think, oh, this is going to be cool. Yeah. 
like ugly. Oh fuck yeah! I want an ugly Metallica record. Ooh, that kind of ugly. Maybe I don't want. Instead, that. we got Visible Kid. Never seen what he did. <clears throat> flush ugly. it out. Yeah, flush it out. Ugly. Uh, so much has been said about how. Yeah, we didn't really talk about this about Jason. So th- what they decided to do for the first time was go into the writing and recording process d- democratically. Yeah. Without any previous things being written, everyone has a voice, everyone writes lyrics, which is what Jason wanted. Yeah, he so did, it yeah. So t- it took Jason kind of leaving for them to finally do mm-hmm. what he wanted most. Yeah, for sure. Isn't that it's sad to me? It's like it, sad and ironic. It is a little sad. I mean, I, I don't know if Jason got in there, if he would be like gung-ho about writing lyrics. Maybe he would. I'd imagine he- He writes lyrics though. He does, but I imagine he'd be, he'd be more gung-ho on like bringing in his riffs and stuff. You know, like, oh, you liked Blackened. Like, check this out. You know, right. other stuff. But um, James is like, have you written anything that good since 1988? <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Because Where the Wild Things Are is pretty trippy. It's, I mean, it's not Blackened. It's- are you sure? <laughs> hmm. It could be called Black and Two. You know, I have a hard time distinguishing between those two songs sometimes. Yeah, it is tough. It, well, the production is what gives it away to, for me. It's just weird that they really never jammed until then. You know, they kind of did their Metallica, Lars James, King of the Hill stuff. I mean, it's the formula. That's the formula that gave us Master of Puppets. You know, it's it kind of works, dude. And, and you know of, what? They went back to it. They went back to it, and we got Death Magnetic and, and Hardwired. Hardwired yeah. So. Thank you, thank you guys. Speaking of that, it working in their sort of legacy and shit, like another thing that comes out in the book that you don't really see much in the film is how much the legacy of the Black Album is partly responsible for their sort of strange identity crisis. Yeah. Well, I mean, at this point, you got to imagine too, when they started recording this record, that, that album was only 10 years old. Yeah, they were just still way under the shadow of it. Oh, yeah, very much so. Because, I mean, from there, they do Load and Reload. Which was kind of their, they kind of alternative experimental. And then well, it was they, already, like, they already got shit for those records. Yeah. You know, like people at that point in the 90s were like, whoa, what's happening to Metallica? So when they're getting ready to record these songs and, you know, try to write these songs together, it's like, what's the last biggest thing that you're known for that everyone loves is the Black Album. Right. Not everybody loves the Black Album. Oh, they. They they sold out. They betrayed me with the Black Album. There's no fast beats on there. You imagine that sentence? They betrayed me with the Black they betrayed Album. Betrayed me. I've been betrayed. Like you, like you had this personal like relationship, and you've been betrayed. If you've truly been betrayed, <laughs> maybe time to re- reevaluate. I think it's gonna hurt more than your favorite band making a record you don't like. Yeah, I agree. All right, I got two more sort of pre rehab points, so we okay. can riff on. Okay, number, the, the the one of two is. Uh, James comes back from the bear hunt and he mentions that he wrote lyrics. Yeah. And Lars goes, oh, you did you really write lyrics? And he's kind of laughing. I always misunderstood that. And what comes out in the book is Lars is laughing actually out of, to mask frustration. I, I, that, that's what I gathered out of it when watching the film. He's was, frustrated that James is writing lyrics without the band. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I never I never got that. You didn't get that? No. I, I, that's what I got because... They I ma- thought they were wanting him to write lyrics. I got it after I saw it a few times because then you get to the point where, where when James has a problem with him listening to stuff while he's gone after 4 p.m. So after rewatching it again, it's like, oh, Lars is clearly pissed that he like did some writing without the other guys. Okay, cool. Well, maybe them just... Well, dummy. maybe the other three guys should have come on this trip with him. And look, if you guys want to write lyrics with me, you have to all kill a bear, and you have to come to Russia. So, yeah, you have to kill a bear and then dig a hole in its stomach and live inside of it for, yeah, for forty-eight yeah. hours. Yeah, like, yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like Luke yeah. Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much just like Luke Skywalker. Yeah, exactly. in, instead of a bear, it's a tauntaun. Yeah. Uh, now, here's something I didn't know that I think you will find interesting, and that I think a lot of our listeners will. The Try Echo me. Chamber song, the Delete Zat song. Oh, yes, of course. I remember it greatly. That song came about because the band together, which I thought this was sweet, Kirk, Rob, or not Rob, pre-Rob, this is pre-Rob, Kirk, James, Lars, and Bob Rock yeah. went to see Sigur Rós together. Really? For those of you who don't know who Sigur Rós is, it's an Icelandic ambient band, minimalistic. Are you into Sigur Rós? I don't dislike them. I've just never really dove into it's it. It's hard but, to dive into because yeah. it's so kind of like wallpaper, yeah. but it's beautiful shit. Oh, yeah. And they it sing, definitely is. They sing in a made-up language. So awesome. So and there, it's it's sort of an auteurist, like it's sort of like performance art in the sense of like there aren't any words. It's about um, um, emotions and yeah. make up your own narrative and all that. Well, they went and saw that and were inspired, and they came home. They went to the Presidio from that show and jammed all night. Well, that's cool. Which I, I I like that. That's what you you. That's you know, good raw it, inspiration. It reminded me of what you and I might do. We're inspired by something and we want to just go right. Yeah, exactly. For but when Metallica does that. <laughs> When Metallica wants to sound like Sigur Rós, we get the Echo Chamber song, and it's rough sauce. And Torben doesn't care for it. It's not, you know, if you will, <laughs> I'll advise, uh, what would you say? And I would say, everybody now, delete that. that. <laughs> <laughs> All together now. All together. All right, so since we already covered kind of most of the Wild James and Rehab, I, just, I have a few points about that. Um, Lars is talking about you know, they don't know when he's coming back or whatever. Yeah. The only person to talk to him is Kirk. And Lars is saying, you know, when he comes back, is James going to have that fire, that sort of angry tension? That's yeah. a big part of Metallica. Of course, yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> they're sort of just ruminating on whether that's the case. And Lars goes, well, Kirk, you saw James. D- does he look like the kind of guy that could fuck, walk out on a fucking stage and get under the red light and sing the thing that should not be? And Kirk goes, no. No. He didn't. And that I mean, must have been scary for them. Well, yeah, I mean, when Kirk saw me, he was still in the middle of all that and still probably in a very vulnerable place. But again, it was necessary. I mean, like James had to go all through this stuff to get back to be that guy that could go sing that song. Bob says of this time in the film, he says, I don't think people realize that in that part of the film, the middle of the film, that it was over. It was absolutely over. Like the band. They just, they just were pretty hopeless about it. Yeah, the band. I, I mean, I can't imagine what Bob Rock is sitting there as like a, a bit of an outsider looking in on this going I'm watching the biggest band in the world end because their singer may not come back with that same fire again right it's crazy well he might not come back or he might come back and it might not be the same and we yeah. can't can't be the band that we need to be yeah it, it is it it, it it makes me appreciate this film and the fact that those guys let the cameras in even more I mean th- when people say, oh, yeah, they, they, they almost broke up back then, it sounds kind of casual when you say it that way, but it's like, no, no, no. No, this was years of unsurety. The, yeah, the, like there was, like, I mean, almost a year straight, you know, when James was in rehab and with his family, that, like, they literally were like, we don't know if Metallica is still right. going to exist. And when you, look, when you look back on it, like, having watched, like, Hansash 50 50 now. Yeah, it's always 50 50. When you look back on it, it's like, oh, yeah, it's like what you're saying. Like, oh, well, it's a story arc and it makes sense and it's a dramatic and everything worked out. But yeah, yeah you're, it's like when you really get inside of these dudes and you you get a sense of that hopelessness and dread a bit more in the book. Totally. You really do. Um, I got to read it, man. Yeah. And this isn't, I, I, I don't want this part of us talking about it to be like, you guys, 
I read the book and you did it. You know, I'm just no. I, I love this. Okay. I, I love hearing these things that I didn't know. The last thing I'll say about this is like one of the, one of the things that sort of you know Lars at the Echo Brain show saying Jason's the Echo Brain's the future. Metallica's the past. Yeah. Echo Brain. One of the things that contributed to him feeling pretty bummed about it is that, according to Joe, no one recognized him or Kirk at the show. Really? Or they, or they recognized him, but no one talked to them. Like, no one came No one up approached him and said, right. hey, man, I love Metallica. And, you know, I've worked for artists who... I've worked for an artist who, at the airport, if people are coming up to him... He's bummed, right? Right, yeah. But if no one comes up to him, he's bummed. He's more bummed, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wait, no one's coming? Okay, can at least have two people come up? Wait, you know, like, yeah, well, you don't get to choose your level of fame. Yeah, exactly. Dude, come on, fucking. Yeah, that that, that is kind of crazy that, like, if no one's talking to you, it's almost worse than when too many people are talking yeah, to you. Yeah, it's like, come on, dude. I'll talk to you. All right, so we're back at HQ, which... Um, we talked about this on the previous episode, but here are some interesting things that I got from the book. Each member of the band has their own room at HQ. So it's totally like their like own like Beatles, bed, like hard bedroom or like, it's like their own private room. Well, there, there uh, I think there's a, a scene there where James is like at a desk. Okay. And he's got like a, some like kind of hot rod looking flames on the wall. Okay. So I think that's like his little office. Which it's which it makes sense. It's practical, but sure, it, yeah. it's just it conjures up in my mind like a cute hard days night Beatles. They all live together, right? Coming yeah. down the fucking fire, you know, fire pole. I wonder if HQ has a fire pole. I hope it does. I don't want to know if it doesn't. Whoa, <laughs> whoa! The first thing they did, and this isn't really shown in the documentary either. The first thing they did when they got back, you know, when when James is playing and Bob says, "That's the best sound I've ever heard in my life." Yeah, and, you playing a guitar again? Uh, they didn't jump back into Metallica music. They did these two Ramones covers for yeah. a tribute album that Rob Zombie put together. It's really cool. They did fifty three and a third in Commando. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Like they didn't jump fifty right, third and third. Fifty third. What yeah. did I say? Fifty three and third. It was just fifty third, I guess. Yeah. Fifty third. Fifty three and third. <laughs> Fifth third bank. The most difficult bank to say. Yes. Fifth, third. Fifth, 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 third. I'm like, you guys couldn't have come up with a better name for the bank than that. Like one, two bank, something. Or just bank. We're called bank. We're the bank bank. Yeah. Uh, When James leaves after the tense combo and slams the door, not not the door that can't be slammed. Not that one. But post rehab, he, he slams the door again. Yeah. And what they don't show, and I thought this is really sweet, is that Lars followed him. Uh, okay. And checked on him. Yeah. I thought that was kind of sweet. It's interesting that, yeah. that they left that out, you know? And 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 they talk about it in therapy. The, a lot of the book is like transcriptions of more therapy. Oh, cool. That That's you don't awesome. see. Yeah. And in it, Phil is saying like, what did you, how did you feel about the fact that Lars followed you? And James is saying, you know, I, I really liked it. I hate, I hate the part of myself that wants to leave. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, damn, that's, that's, that's some re- nice stuff. That's some real shit. Uh, another thing that I was shocked by, you know, the comment that, that I don't think we mentioned the last one, but when Kirk says, James goes, if you guys work on the music when I'm not here, then I feel like decisions have been made without me and I don't feel like I'm a part of it. And Kirk goes kind of like me for the last 15 years and then gets ignored. I feel I walk into something that's already kind of decided and it's a total uphill battle for me. A lot of times I don't like that feeling. Oh, that's like, just like the last 15 years. Yeah, for me. Well, let's talk. About, let's let's talk about this tomorrow. And he totally gets ignored, very and, ignored. But then this is in the book, though. You hear James, someone go, "Yeah," <laughs> and it's not James or Lars. It's yeah. probably Bob. Yeah, it's more but, Phil. But this is in the book. James goes, 
James acknowledged Kirk's comments about the way he was treated, and he says, you really helped me yesterday when you said what you said about how you've been treated the last 15 years. He says, yeah. you do your part, and then when you leave, we all sit there and fiddle with decisions. I can't do that. I can't be healthy that way. Yeah. I was like, damn, that's cool. Well, that's cool that, I mean, Kirk said, even, even though maybe, you know, he got kind of shut down when he said it, it's like it did get through to James. Yeah. That's awesome. He, even though he was kind of beelining for Lars. Yeah. You know, I think it, they were, they were way, way too much in the middle of a, a heated discussion for them to take a sidetrack and talk about Kirk for the last 15 years feeling that way, you know? Yeah, I agree. But that's crazy. For 15 years, he's felt like, well, I just get pushed to the side. Yeah. I know. Poor Kirk. Poor Kirky. But you know, he's so zen about it. He talks about, he talks in the film about how he accepts his role. Right, yeah. And he said he said I he said it's part of my beliefs to make my ego small. And he said I try to be an example of that to the other guys. Yeah, that's cool. Which, you know, that's very cool. It makes me wonder it makes me wonder how essential he is. Like he must be super essential. Oh, I think he still is. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think if, you know, if all of a sudden like Kirk quit tomorrow like you know, yeah, you could get another guitar player in there, but I don't know if I don't know if they would. It's been there long enough. I have a few things to say about Dave Mustaine. There's some really touching shit that's said in in other parts of that yeah. interview that aren't in the film. Hello, Dave. <laughs> Hello, me. <laughs> My misfits way of life. <laughs> Tell it to the Reader's Digest. <laughs> Here's, I mean, you see, <laughs> I have not sold 15 million records like Dave, Mr. Dave, one David Esquire Mustaine has. Yeah, but here's a little song. Oh, you, mean, oh, you mean those those records that backfired? Here's a little songwriting tip. Don't say Reader's Digest in any of your songs. Nice story. Tell it to the Reader's Digest. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not an amazing Megadeth song, but it... (laughs) I love Sweating Bullets. I really do. But it's, I mean, it's on uh, maybe their biggest record. I'm going to tell you this. I'm not shitting you. It's my favorite Megadeth song. (laughs) It really is. But you only know two Megadeth songs. Well, I know that one in Symphony of Destruction, yeah. which is the same thing to me. I was listening to Megadeth before you came over. Uh, I was listening to uh, Rust in Peace, and then I was listening to Symphony of Destruction, that rec- or uh, Countdown to Extinction, yeah. and, uh, and I skipped Sweating Bullets. You did? Because you don't like it. No, I don't, I don't dislike it. I, it just gets kind of old. I've heard it for so long. I don't know. It's okay. Okay. There's some good songs on there. Well, Paul will be putting out a record soon, so you'll be able oh, to get his version. Can I get it on vinyl? Speaking of that, should we take a little, should we mosey on down to the old poetry corner? I wouldn't mind taking a little break. All right. Let's I'm, see what's I'm, going on with Pawpaw. All right. Well, thank you for stepping on down to the poetry corner. We're so delighted to have you here. Today we'll be reading My World from the album Saint Anger by Mr. Jimmy Hatfield, Jr., Sr., Jr., Jr. The motherfuckers got into my head, trying to make me someone else instead. Well, it's my world now. It's my world. Mama, why is it raining in my room? Cheer up, boy. Clouds will move on soon. A heavy fog got me lost inside. Gonna sit right back and enjoy the ride. And it's my world, and, uh, well, you can't have it. It's my world, you sucker. Well, I'm out of my head. Out of my head. 
Get him out of my head. Out of my head. Get him out. Scoot. Well, who's in charge of my head today? Dancing devils and angels way. It's my time now. Yeah, it's my time. Well, look out, motherfuckers. Here I come. I'm gonna make my head my home. The sons of bitches tried to take my head. Tried to make me someone else instead. Well, it's my world and you can't have it. It's my world, sucker. I'm out of my head, out of my head. Get them out of my head. Get them out. Scoot. Well, not only do I not know the answers, I don't even know what the question is. God, it feels like it only rains on me. Not only do I not know the answers now, but uh, I reckon I don't even know what the question is, you sucker. I'm out of my head. Out of my head. Get them out. Well, enough's enough, and I couldn't agree more. Thanks for stopping back into the Poetry Corner. We'll see you next time. It's my world now. <laughs> Scoot. Guess what? It's Papa's world now. Yeah. Move over, heady hat. Yeah. <laughs> There's a new papa in town. There's a new papa. There's a new papa in town. His name's Papa Hit. <laughs> <laughs> his is Papa's last name like Hetville or like? No, it's kind of like Madonna. Now. The name's just simply Papa. Well, we appreciate you, Papa, <laughs> and we appreciate your 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 beautiful beautiful renditions in spoken word of Metallica songs. But check this out, man. Several times during the convo that Dave had with Lars, he asked to turn the cameras off because he was overwhelmed with emotion and was sure. crying. Yeah. Well, I mean, he gets a little teary in the right. documentary, but yeah. I, I mean, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Sure, he's got some things he's hung on to for maybe for maybe for too long, but he also hasn't had the opportunity to really like sit down with like just his friend Lars. Not the drummer of Metallica, just his little Danish friend. I think what comes through heavy shit. what comes through after I pondering this interview, which I I believe I said before was the most insane part of the documentary. Yeah, is because what I see a lot, what they edited together, and, and what I kind of see in Dave a lot is like a lot of anger and bitterness. Yeah, but what I what the book helped brought out for me was that really under all that is a lot of regret, and it makes me sad. Yeah, he really regrets it. Like, well, I mean, even <clears throat> even what you see in the documentary, he slaps himself in the head like I fucked up. Right, you know. Well, he says, but then, but then when he's talking positively, he says, when James and I picked up guitars and started playing in unison, the world changed. And if you weren't there, you don't know. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, I don't know. It makes me sad. Check this out. So after the three hour combo ends, Lars is like, I'll take Dave back to his hotel. They get in Lars's car. What comes on the radio for whom the bell tolls? Oh my gosh. Check this out. It gets worse. <laughs> Uh, Lars said they kind of went with it for about five seconds. Yeah. Like, good sports. And then Lars goes to change the station. No leaf clover. No. <laughs> so he said Dave just smiled and turned the radio off. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Poor Dave. Dude. Oh, Dave. David. It wasn't sweating bullets on either of those rock stations. That would have been amazing if it was. He's like, oh, well, yeah, it's like, See? See? There, there's Hello, me. me. See? Hello, me <laughs> on the radio. It's <laughs> me on the radio. <laughs> Tell it to the radio if station. We, if we ever uh, have Dave Mustaine on this podcast, I'll give you ten dollars 
if the second we sit down and start recording, you go, hello, Dave. Dude. You would just, you would just hear. Yeah, then walking away, just door, door fading, slamming. Yeah, yeah. The door that will slam. The door, oh, if Dave Mustaine slams the door, I guarantee it probably shakes the house. He's an intense cat. I've hung out with him. He's very intense. Even when he's super kind and, and nice, he's still intense. Well, Joe Broninger makes a note that, that, you know, Phil was present for the Lars Dave talk. Right, yeah. But he said Phil was uncharacteristically quiet. And he says, you know, the raw emotion of that meeting, he was just sort of letting it play out. I suspect Phil was intimidated by Dave. I think so. Well, he also didn't have, like, the past he had with Metallica at this point. You know, he, they had been doing these sessions for a while. And getting, you know, Phil's been digging deep with these guys into their heart and their soul and their mind. Dave shows up for one day. And, you know, we, we talked about in the last episode, it was the day, what, the day or two after 9-11? Right. I mean, every person that lived in this country was overwhelmed. Yeah, they With did. emotion, you know? They talk like, about that in the book, too. They did a, um, they did a therapy session that day. Like, everyone was like, surely the therapy's canceled. But Phil was like... We're going to do therapy. And while they were setting up, like setting up the lighting to shoot the therapy, you know, CNN was on and they were all just watching it. And he said it was a very strange session because it was just so weird to go on as business as usual. Yeah. I mean, the, the world really kind of changed. Well, yeah, the world stopped that day for sure. Maybe Phil thought like, it would be good to, let's talk about this or something. I don't know. To have some structure. Yeah, Exactly. Um, that's pretty much all I got. Like the rest I have, um, it picks up kind of where we left off in the film. So yeah, for sure. But no, those, those are good things to bring up too, because you know, even though you read it in the book, it's, it's, it's great to kind of interject that into, into what we talked about in the last episode. Well, and even just talking about those things, it doesn't even really capture how insightful the book is. So I really recommend it as a sort of corollary guide through this strange time in this band. Yeah, for sure. There's so, I mean, it's it's over years, you know, it's three years of shit. So yeah, for sure. The book is really insightful. There's a lot of other shit about Joe Berlinger that I don't care about. So there, there's, sure. but, but it's kind of his story too, doing Paradise Lost and yeah. Blair Witch too, and all that shit. But the Metallica stuff is, in my opinion, kind of invaluable. Of course it is. Yeah. One of the things I thought was really cool, speaking of Metallica being a fan friendly band, is when they let all the fans come in and they weren't auditioning for bass, but they got to play bass with the band. Yeah, but they had that table set up to like bass auditions, you know, right. sign up here. Right. No, that was really cool. And and the first few people they show clearly <clears throat> don't play bass. But they were all having like fun with it. They were laughing. Oh, yeah, of course. And... Exactly. Yeah, they're just like hitting the strings whenever. But then that chick, Elena, Elena, Elena gets she... up there and kind of kills it. Oh, she totally kills it. She did awesome. Yeah. And, and then you see the band get excited and then she like, you know, gets... Well, think about how nervous you'd be because I think what they did was at first they let them play it just with a track. Yeah, just by themselves. And then just... if they kind of passed that round, they got to play it with Metallica. Right, exactly. I mean, if, if Metallica walked in here right now and said, hey, you're going to play one song with us on bass, you're going to play From the Bell Tolls, I would be like, oh, oh shit, okay, um, I know how to play it, but right. it would be an intimidating thing. I mean, you're a fan walking into their studio. For sure. And there's the dudes watching you play bass by yourself in front of an audience. Right. Scary stuff. But I think them kind of having fun with it and making it jokey and, and light, yeah. maybe that was sort of designed to make the vibe feel loose. and Right, yeah, exactly. And at the end of the day, it's just people getting to kind of hang in a room with Metallica. Yeah. It wasn't some sort of stiff meet and greet with a lot of rules. It, yeah, seemed, it, was like, it, it was, seemed like everyone was cool, you know? Well, it was like their fan appreciation day. They already, you know, like they have, they look, in some of the scenes you see, like they had like a little barbecue going outside and like eating food and just hanging out. You know, like you're going to your neighbor's house for a, a little grill Only out. your neighbors are Metallica. Your neighbors are Metallica. Oh. 
All right, let's talk about this solos thing. They they, they have this conversation about. Kirk is bummed. Kirk's bummed, and Kirk is right when he says, you know, I he, and I like it because he's got a little fire in him. He says, I just want to say this is bullshit. Yeah. He gets feisty. But can I say something that I think is bullshit? This what? whole fucking solo out, you know, dates the whole thing. That's so bullshit, you know? If you put a guitar, if you don't put a guitar solo in one of these songs, that dates it to this period. And that, that cements it to a trend that's happening in music right now. I think that's stupid, yeah, and I, I think it's totally I know trendy. That's not what I said. But it's weird, and it's a weird edit too, because then he then he says, "I'm not interested in playing traditional guitar solos anymore." Yeah, but he didn't really play. I mean, is he is he talking like like traditional, as in what he's already done before, like just the fast, you know, blackened kind of stuff and battery? Because I mean, really, I think non-traditional in the sense of Metallica, he kind of started doing that on. A bit of the black album, but definitely on load, load reload. reload yeah. You know, a slide solo. He would never have done a slide solo right. before that. You know, right. maybe he was referring to that. Like, I don't want to play traditional guitar solos like I've done in the past. I, I mean, we've mentioned this before, but I think Saint Anger definitely could have benefited from the load reload treatment of guitar. Yeah, where it, load and reload seems to me to be Kirk take this, take the demo or the session, go home, live inside of it, and come up with something out of left field. Like yeah. they're they're well composed solos. They're not right. they're not the death magnetic style of or the hardwired style of just improvise a hundred times yeah, and we'll exactly. cobble together some bullshit. Right. They, they the load reload solos sound like parts to me. Yeah, I mean they're no they're very well composed. Not all of them. There's some not great ones. I get it, but yeah. The fuel solo, the memory remains solo, yeah. the until it sleeps solo, the ain't my bitch solo. There's a bunch. Yeah, a bunch of good day, ones on exactly that. all that. Yeah. So. It is interesting clip, you know, and I, I wanted to make a note to insert the clip of them talking about that, by the way. And we'll take me saying all that out, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, and this is where we, we mentioned a little earlier, but this is, they, they do a kind of a cool edit to Kirk is in a car. He's talking about being very comfortable with his role in the band. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, I think that shit's really important. I mean, if you're in the band that long, as long as he's been to this point of this documentary, I mean... I think you have to be comfortable with your role in the band. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. Right. If he wasn't comfortable with it, even the first 10 years, he may have quit. Like, if if you come into this band, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, uh, I'm James, I'm Lars, and we kind of just write everything, and then you can write write the solos. Then that's it. You know, if you got a riff that's good enough, i.e. Enter Sandman, we'll take it. But Well, and here's how you're going to write the solos. You're going to sit across from our drummer, who's going to scrutinize everything you do. Yeah. That's not how most guitar players do their guitar yeah, parts either. Totally. Yeah, you know, I mean, the Metallica so that, way is pretty far out, you know. I mean, could you say that, like, in a way that maybe Kirk has been more hazed by the band than Jason? I think they still treat Kirk with respect, though. Yeah, they do. And Kirk has a shit ton of co-writes. Yeah, like that's Kirk true. delivers goods, and when he delivers goods, they're like, "That's good." Yeah. You know. I think I think they respected him more. You know, Jason's hazing just had so much to do with their inability to grieve Cliff. Yeah, that's true. Very true. And you know, I think it's possible Jason didn't have as many good ideas as Kirk. I think it's very possible. You know, like well, his, well, his three, they his three contributions are, are badass, and I think they did listen. Well, clearly because yeah, that's cause how they, got, they made they got, it to the record. They got but, blackened. Yeah, exactly. But maybe his ideas just weren't good enough. You I know? mean, I think it's possible. You know, and. I don't know. It's a shame. Well, Jason, we know you're listening, so shoot us an email and let us know your thoughts on this. Write me a letter. Be my pin pal. 
Yeah, pen pal us. <laughs> pen pal me. Uh, then we get a really important scene. I think this is important. The scene where they're sort of not digging the radio promo. It's it's so awkward. It's important though because it's the first time they're all they feel like a team. Yeah, well, I mean, th- this is right after a, a bunch of scenes of just arguments and stuff, and they're back in there just together around a mic making jokes. Even though this thing they're doing for this radio promo thing is ridiculous. Well, it's them all being like, oh, we all agree about something. This sucks. Yeah. And we don't want to do it. But it took that to kind of, you know, start to bring them back together. I think it's a nice scene. I think so you, too, yeah. This is when you sort of start, this is when I was mentioning before about a lot of the post-rehab stuff is when the film starts to get heavy for me. And yeah. And take on more than just sort of spoiled rock stars complaining about their lives or whatever. Right, yeah. And I like this scene because it's when you really first start seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, well, you see, you all, you see them like all together laughing about things too. Like they start making jokes at the expense of this radio promo thing they have to record. And, you know, they'll, you know, Lars says something like at one point, he's like, you know, Lars, I'm going to shove 40 grand up your ass. Yeah. And it's like, they all start cracking up. It's like, yeah. oh. he Well, James says $1 at a time. $1 at a time, yeah. But it's, a, it's a great scene. Well, it's, the, it's them coming but, back together. Well, and then they have the meeting where they actually call their management and they're like, look, we don't want to do it. We think this is crap. Yeah. And Cliff Bernstein is like, well, and James is like, He's like, they're, Cliff Bernstein is saying, well, they're the two biggest radio chains in right. the country. Like, we really need to think about that. And James is like, are you saying they'd fuck us if we don't do what they want? And Cliff's like, yes, James, I'm telling you that. Oh, yeah, he gets bummed. And that's the inspiration for Sweet Amber. Yeah. How sweet are you? Uh, uh, Turn your back so you don't stab mine. Get in bed, you're okay. <laughs> Don't love that song. Nah, it's not one of my favorites. Although we did get feedback when we, I think we both gave that song a one or a two out of ten. Yeah, a lot of people wrote back and said they really liked that song. Yeah, it's a highlight for a lot of people. But I will say, in the in the in the film, it is nice to see them get inspired. And I agree. Get in there and, and start to do something, whether whether it turned out good or not, or whether you like it or not. They're in there working together on this on this piece. You know, after they came together and started laughing about this radio promo shit. Right. And let's 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 to, for context. That's this is the Sweet Amber Day. That's day four hundred and fifty six. I'm sorry. Did you say four <laughs> hundred? Exactly. Four hundred and fifty six. Like it's just our. And that's this is we're at the kind of the halfway point. I mean, it was over seven hundred days. Yeah. I mean, I know that you know towards the end of the documentary, it kind of jumps further ahead. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, right. Um, but that's God. That's a lot of days. So then we get a MTV News update. The, about Jason being musically active in uh, in the studio with Vo- Vo- Voivod. Voivod, yeah. And it's when Lars says that a good friend has hinted that Jason wants to join the band again. And it's an interesting scene. Very, yeah. James, yeah. In, one of the things in the book that's not in the film is James says, it's interesting, in the book you really get, well, it's not even you get the sense, you find out that James and Jason have been doing a lot of talking through all of this. Okay. Post him leaving. Yeah. A lot of like, I guess, sort of um, friendly talking. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And and James goes, uh, I just talked to Jason for like two hours the other day about business stuff and just talking about stuff. And he says, you know, he didn't mention anything about this. He didn't say anything that would indicate he wanted to come so back. So it's kind of like a, a rumor from a kind mutual a friend say. thing. Yeah. Totally. Or someone might have heard Jason say something like, Man, like I miss those guys, which might yeah. have been true. Both things can be true. I don't want to go back to this yeah. unhealthy thing, but totally. I miss my friends. Or, or if if you know if they weren't dealing with this and there wasn't a therapist in there, like I wouldn't have quit, or I would go back in there with them. You know, right? 
And it's this is one of the only scenes where I, I I'm not really feeling Bob's Rock's vibe was when he says, "I think the heart and soul of the band's you three, and I don't think you'll ever find a permanent replacement." Yeah. And obviously, time's not really borne that out because Rob is as good for them as I can imagine. Yeah. And I don't think Rob's going anywhere. He's the longest standing bass player. He's kind of like a Kirk, you know? Like, Rob really is a bit of a glue for them. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. And it's just weird for Bob to have said that to them. Yeah, I, I think though at the time, though, it's like they don't have a bass They're player. Super and he's up. filling in on bass for the record. And they're in a really bad place, you know, with... with and still dealing with Jason being gone. And, like, James is talking to him. They're hearing hearsay about him, whatever. You know, it's all still like at that low point of them with no bass right. player. So, you know, I think it makes some sense. He's like, I don't think I'm ever going to find a permanent, you know, I don't, I don't think he means not permanent. I think he means someone you're truly going to be happy with. Even I just, though they did. I just think he could, he could have either kept his mouth shut or he could have said something like, you know, I really believe you guys are going to find the right guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which maybe. He, he did. <laughs> maybe something encouraging that, like that. Is that that hard? Is it that hard? I don't know. I don't he did know. end up saying during the bass auditions, which we're going to get to shortly, he did say, you know, I really think you guys need to not settle and really get the right yeah, guy. Right. So, you know, he did kind of... Yeah, yeah. He, he may have just been bum- in a yeah, shitty mood or something. Yeah. These sessions were dismal. I mean... Yeah, kind of. Well, and also, what did you say? This is day 456? Yeah, right. Yeah, I think you're a little tired at this point. Uh, and it was a good moment. They sure were like a little short montage of Cliff. and That was really cool. James talks about how angry he is that Cliff was taken away. And one of the reasons he describes that I think is interesting where he says, one of the reasons he's angry is because the four of them can't kind of ride off into the sunset together. Right, the story yeah. of them will never be these same four kids from mm-hmm. the Bay Area. Right, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, well, you got to imagine, I mean, they had these hopes and dreams during Kill Em All, and then all of a sudden it got bigger and bigger and bigger as each record went on, and then all of a sudden it was like, you know, in an instant, there's no more Cliff. Right. So it's understandable that he would, you know, hold on to that stuff for so long. We get to day 482, and this is when James doesn't, he doesn't confront Phil, but he says to Phil that he wants to scale back the therapy. Yeah. And Phil... Phil does not come off good in this scene. No. He's, he's kind of stammering. He seems shocked. Oh, he 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 seems like he's kind of backpedaling, just like, he, like he's telling them, like, no, no, you need this. Like, well, he's, he, yeah, he's trying to secure his job, let's be honest. Well, and James kind of like laying the, laying the honesty on him and says, well, when I hear that you're moving to San Francisco with your family, it makes me afraid of what you think your role is here. Yeah, at one point before they meet with him, he, he talks about, you know, I'm afraid that Phil like thinks he's in the band. Right. And, you he know? Says, and he says, you know, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable about that. And Phil kind of like, he, he kind of backpedals and he's like, well, I, I never said that my family was moving here. We, he's like, we we're sold right. selling our house. Yeah, and he goes, and if we moved here, we wouldn't move to San Francisco. Yeah, we're, we're moving to Marin County. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's basically San Francisco, dude. Yeah. We're not going to move to San Francisco. We're going we're gonna to move to Oakland. But oh, it, right it, across the bay. It actually is creepy because he says, he goes, you know, I think we have more work to do. And he goes, he's like, I've told you guys, I see enhan- performance enhancement coaching dude, for that, each of you individually and Metallica. That I'm like, what? Dude, can you imagine if he went on the road with them and was like working with, you know. Oh, yeah. 40 grand from Lars, 40 grand from Kirk, 40 grand from Rob, 40 grand from James, a kajillion grand from Metallica. Yeah. I, th- I think at this point, I mean, I, I think you know Phil's how many sweaters a, that is. It's at least <laughs> it's at least twenty five. At sweaters. least twenty five. Yeah, <laughs> I think honestly at this point Phil is realizing he's overstayed his welcome, 
and he's just r- trying everything he can, trying to say anything he can to hold on to this job. Another insight from the book is Phil claims that he had had a private conversation with Lars a little bit before this thing with James, mm-hmm. where Lars basically led him to believe that he would be doing more work with them. Now, that's what Phil says. Uh, I mean, maybe Lars was drunk one night and was like, yeah, you can come on road with us. It'll be fun. One of the problems with Phil, though, is that he he adopts what he calls a quote-unquote interactive stance, uh, meaning he conducts himself not as an impassive neutral counselor, but rather as a participant who discusses his own biases and baggage, something like a friend and a confidant. Yeah. And it's just one of the problems of that is... I think he I think he blurred lines for himself and he sure. got confused and he got close and when he kind of brushed up against the limitations of that relationship yeah. he felt kind of jolted by that. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of his own fault, you know. Yeah, unfortunately. Cuz it's it interesting cuz Lars kind of flips out too. Lars is like, "Look, the client is telling you he wants yeah. a timeout and you're telling him this trust issues." It's it's yeah, kind of it gets intense for sure. But again, it's one of the first times in the film that you see it is intense, but it's not between Lars and James. It's Lars right. and James against a- Phil agreeing. Yes, they are, which agreeing. I think is important. Very, oh yeah, they because they're not doing a whole lot of that. Not a lot of that. No, it was really good. I mean, like when Lars says what you just brought up, it's like he's almost defending what James just said. He's standing up for his friend, like to Phil. It's really cool. Yeah, it is cool. But he did all sorts of shit like that. And, and you know, one of the things that the book describes is that <clears throat> for whatever reason, Phil was near a fax machine and they were getting business faxes. Yeah. So someone asked Phil if he could just hand the faxes out. And the faxes contained financial information about, J- about Jason. Ah, uh, okay. And Phil read them and brought it up and said, do you guys want to talk about this? And James immediately shut it down yeah. and said, I'm not going to talk to you about this. This was in, it was in the book. This is in the book, yeah. James like put the hammer down like he immediately listen. was like, "I'm not talking to you about this. This is not what we're going to talk about." God, but, I'm surprised there's not a story of him just being like, "Listen, motherfucker, like that. That's our personal business. You don't look at that." But I, I mean, this it just goes to show. I think Phil was way past his welcome, feeling like he could tap into more personal stuff, like like you said, finances, things like that. Right. I mean, it's pretty cocky. To read the faxes coming in from like management about Jason and his money, I I think the story of this movie is a story of everyone involved being unwell: the filmmakers, the band, and Phil Tao. Oh yeah, very much so, very much so. Uh, all right, where where are we at now? James confronts Phil. So we're getting oh. Napster stuff from the news leader in Northern California, News Center Four, Nightbeat. The Metallica versus Napster battlefield moved to San Mateo today. Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich delivered a list of screen names of people who have downloaded the band's music online. Metallica is suing Napster, a website that provides software which allows people to download music on the internet without paying. Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich testified before a Senate committee earlier this month that Napster has, quote, hijacked our music without asking. The band said that over 350,000 people are downloading its music for free. A group of former Metallica fans staged a protest at the courthouse. I don't want anything to do with Metallica anymore. I'm going to be crashing their CDs. I took all my CDs and I'm going to be destroying them. Are you proud of what you achieved with the whole Naps thing? Are you proud in hindsight of what you pulled off? 
being the most hated man in rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was my goal. I got an idea. I'm kind of bored this summer. Everything's going a little too well. Uh, let's see. Uh, I want to turn myself into the most hated fucking asshole in rock and roll. Yeah. So we got the Napster stuff, and we're gonna do a whole issue. Issue. We're yeah, we're we're, uh, we're starting a comic. <laughs> We're going to do a whole episode on the Napster thing, so oh, yeah, we don't have to sure. dive too much into that, but that was a tough time for them. It was a tough time, but at this point in the documentary where they're, where they're kind of like talking about like all the things they kind of have to deal with, and Lars is you know the spokesperson for this, and you know on top of making this record and dealing with Phil and stuff, I still have to go out here and deal with this Napster stuff and be the spokesperson for this and go to court. You know, it was, I'm sure it was overwhelming for Lars. Well, it's a good setup, because then they showed them working on Shoot Me Again, which is what that song's about. Yeah. So... Shoot me again, I ain't dead yet. I ain't dead, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shoot me again, yeah. Shoot me again. Ah. Day 554, I think this is pretty interesting, because this is the day that Cliff Bernstein, who has not heard any of the material yet, any comes of it. in. Day 554. Like, it, they talk about this in the book a lot, too, about the, the Q-Prime, and obviously it's been a successful partnership, but Q-Prime really trusts their artists. Yeah. And they knew the filming was going on. They knew that the filming was definitely evolving from an infomercial into what might look like either a television show or a feature film, that it was going to be dramatic. And they hadn't even heard the materials. They, just, they trusted the band. They trusted the process, right? Yeah, yeah. So Cliff comes in to listen, and the first thing they play, I believe, is Sweet Amber, and he loves it. And he's he like... Get, he gets psyched on the like the first few songs. But then they show... And, and they go, well, we got 14 more. You know, I, yeah. you want to hear it? And Cliff's like, let's hear it. And he gets fucking worn out. He gets worn out. As as we did listening to that record when we did our San Diego yeah. episode. It, it's, it's, it's an overwhelming record to listen to. But they were also playing like Presidio stuff and like Temptation and yeah, the yeah. Echo song. And he ended up saying... So they did Sweet Amber into All Within My Hands, St. Anger something I didn't recognize and then temptation. And he talks about how the first four he played knocked him out. But then he's like, you know, it does, it, it, there's no follow through with this. Yeah. And the, the album wasn't done, but, but how, I mean, how do those dudes have to feel that like after they're, you know, we're, what did we say day five fifty four? Yeah. You know, they've been working on this for almost two years. They probably felt pretty shitty, very shitty. And he, and Cliff even goes, you know, it's your decision, which I, I liked, you know, like, yeah, what a cool, what a cool vibe for a manager. He's, I mean, he's probably still smart enough to know that, like, okay, Moses' record isn't good. It's not what I expected, but it's still Metallica. We're still going right. to sell a shitload of them. Like, yeah. We're still going to be okay. This is a huge band. Yes. So things are probably going to be fine. Um, the, the, there's kind of a roundtable discussion about, because uh, did you know that, like, all the songs that made the record were voted on democratically. Yeah. Every song that made the record had to have been voted on by all four members, including Bob, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. He was, I mean, there the whole time. And- so they're having a discussion about Temptation, and James is really fighting for it. Because Temptation is essentially the last song written by the old James. Yeah. It's pre-rehab. Yeah. So he feels real connected to it, because he felt like he felt like a lot of shit was coming through. Yeah, exactly. Can't nail, can't say no. Can't say no. Temptation wreck my head and all that. It's it's not a lyrically very strong song, but yeah, right. He felt close to it, but they they sort of ended up not going with it, and that's another moment where they navigated through conflict as a band, came out the other end, and mm-hmm. it was okay. Yeah, totally. It's nice. Oh yeah, it's very it's very nice. I mean, I understand with the whole temptation thing. You know, as much as I think the song sucks. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that connection as a songwriter, when you have a song that maybe it's not your best, but there's something in that song that's that special. You, yeah. It's very special. And you feel like it's like a baby, you know, you, you're like a little puppy and you want to just cuddle it. The only moment in this movie where I am personally offended is this scene because Lars is like, you know, we need to come in with our A pluses. And James goes, well, look, we can whip anything into shape. That's what we did with load and reload. And Kirk smirks and goes, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. I'm like, fuck you guys. Oh my gosh. Don't you dare compare Temptation to the wor- yeah. to the worst song on Reload, which would be Attitude, which is way better well, than Temptation. Well, and saying we can whip anything into shape of what they've just recorded. Well, you didn't do it. You oh, didn't do no. it that time. Oh, no. <laughs> Obviously, you can't. All right, so day 609 is when Lars screams fuck into the microphone. This Bob Brooks like, Lars, why don't you do something for me? Yeah. And he and you can tell he's embarrassed to do it because he, like, he hides behind a bunch yeah. of gear yeah. and then like falls on the floor doing it and... I'm so glad that's not on the record. And Bob goes, I'm going to need four more of those. (laughs) That was amazing. Yeah, it didn't make the record, I guess, right? Yeah. Not even in the kill, kill, kill scene. That might have been good for that. Might have been good, yeah. Kill, 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 kill. Now, the scene where Lars is selling his artwork. This is ridiculous. It is the scene that everyone in the band, everyone in management, everyone around them except Lars begged him to take out of the film they wanted out of the film everyone did well because you're basically watching lars sell a painting for five million dollars like it, yeah you're it's watching very, him make a shitload of money right and, it's, and come across like a bit of a dummy in the art world where he's like <clears throat> when he when they ha- all the stuff's hanging up in that gallery he walks up to he's like i've never been this close to it before right it's like dude it was in your house i think he was pretty I think he wasn't a dummy about like art collecting. Like one of the paintings he sold, it was a big deal because he sold it for five million and had never been sold for more than two. Like he right. broke a record. Yeah, yeah. I just think he was just he comes off kind of aloof about it. Like, why is it, why why aren't there more white lines up there? And yeah, but um, everyone fought to have it taken out. Guess who the voice of reason was? Phil Torben. Torben. So they called Torben, and because you know Lars bounces all of his stuff off, oh, yeah. off, off old Papa Bear, and Torben said, "I think I can't, I'm not going to try to do it." Uh, Lars, I think it's 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 a great reflection of uh, your diversity and what uh, the things that you're into, and uh, plus it's really funny to watch you get hammered. <laughs> what he said was, "You got to make his connection to the art personal." Or del- or or he or deletes that. Del- yeah, deletes that. So they added the scene of the night before where Lars is going back through. Right, right, okay. And so <clears throat> he drops a champagne glass and. Speaking of Torben, I'm getting a little hungry. I'm starving. Let's head up to the kitchen for a second. All right, let's do it. Welcome to another edition of Recipes with the Outlaw Torben. I am Torben, of course. This week we are talking about my favorite thing for the holidays. TGI Friday's Jack Daniels sauce. Lars and I love to put it all over turkey. Here you go. One tablespoon onion powder. One tablespoon garlic powder. One tablespoon Tabasco sauce. One cup pineapple juice. One half cup whiskey or your favorite brand and me and Lars's favorite brand is a Danish liquor called Gamel Dansk. It is wonderful. Two cups brown sugar, two beef bouillon cubes, four tablespoons Worcestershire sauce, or however you say this weird thing that we don't really like in Denmark. 
That has been Recipes with the Outlaw Torben. And many happy holidays to you and your Jack Daniels sauce. Okay. Ooh, delicious, by the way. I would I would make that what, what Torben just read to us. I'm I would, gonna, I would I'm make that. I'm going to go home and wake my entire family up and just make that and eat it. Yeah. I'm at, my wife's asleep right now. I'm going to wake her up as well. Yeah, let's just get started on it immediately. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, so we got MTV Icon. We've got our base auditions. The Icon offer comes through. They decide to accept it. The Icon people say, this is a great opportunity to debut a new bass player. Can yeah. you guys Unveil. hire one? How did it have been a trip for Ra? I mean, you, you've seen that interview footage going into Icon where he's like, uh, this is crazy. Like, how's it feel to be an Icon, you know? I mean, yeah, you've been in Metallica for five minutes and now you're an icon. How does that feel? He's yeah. like, uh, awkward. Uh, awkward. I've, I've never played a note with him on stage. I remember watching it in real time and it was awkward. <clears throat> I, remember I remember feeling I, awkward. I never felt awkward. I, I remember being stoked because I knew who Rob was. I knew what bands he played with and this and that. And I was like, oh, this guy's going to be cool for Metallica. Yeah. Um, do you remember a standout performance of the, any of the artists that played? Avril Lavigne doing Fuel. I loved it. I really did. My favorite was actually Sum 41. What did they do? They were they opened it. They did like the medley at the beginning. Oh, okay. With, like for whom the bell tolls and master puppets and stuff. I haven't revisited this show. I don't know if any of it's good or not, but I do remember liking the Avril Lavigne. Yeah, there, there's some good stuff in there. There's some not so good stuff in there, but like like I thought Corn was just What did they do? They did one. I saw them do one live at the Summer Sanitarium show where James's back got hurt. Yeah. Oh my god, it was so horrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I recently found that show on YouTube. Yeah, the one you went to, and I I watched it, and it was I had a lot of feelings. Yeah, I, well, just knowing that I was in that room, a seventeen year old me was in that room. It was a I've never seen that before because that was back in the time where not everyone goddamn filmed everything. Right, it was probably some guy that had like a, a high eight camera or something like <clears throat> snuck it into the show. And I'm currently having a fucking argument on the Metallica forums with a bunch of goddamn people about. <laughs> You know, Tool in a Perfect Circle are being really um, diligent about their no phone policy. And yeah, wasn't at, it that Maynard had like sixty people kicked out of the show? Well, he didn't. Night? The venue, well, but the, did. yeah, the venue. Uphold, you know. They're upholding their tools, right. Law and all. I, and, and my my, you know, what I'm putting into that argument is like, well, if it's whether or not you agree with the policy, if it's the policy, then if it's you, the policy, if yeah. it's, then, then if you don't do what the policy says, you're out. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you go to a movie theater and it says no outside food. If you bring in food and they catch you and they get kicked out, don't get mad at the movie theater. You're the one that broke the fucking rule. Well, people are just so <clears throat> unwilling to accept that they're obsessed with their phones. That but I have to have footage for my friend. I have to take this terrible picture I'll never look at again. I'm going to I'm gonna take a picture. I'm going to zoom all the way out on my phone and it looks like fucking garbage. It's getting ugly, man. Like, there people are... I think I've been called a pussy and a little bitch. Wow. These are some smart characters. A little bitch. These are some intelligent people. Well, I'm just trying to say, look, this is what I do for a living. So let me tell you what. If someone's not obeying what my policy is or the venue's policy is, whatever it may be, they're gone. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's a rule. It's their policy. And I, you know, I'm like, I had a dude yell, dude, dude, hey, dude. I had him yell at me for 15 (laughs) minutes at a show. During the show. Yeah, three entire songs and in between those three songs. Wow. Gone. He's out. Yeah. That's what I was called a little bitch about. You're such a little bitch, Clint. Everyone's like, Maynard's just a fucking diva, egomaniacal rock star. I'm like, no, he's not. It's his party. It's his rules. And Maynard came out and said, look, um, it's a guided tour. No cell phones, no videos. Unplug and enjoy the ride. Right. It's his party. 
there's a lot of bands that do that now. I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. When I go to a show, it is nice to maybe take a picture or two. Yeah, whatever. Uh, maybe take a video clip for, uh, if, if my wife's not there, for instance, and she would, she loves this song, you know, but I'm not the guy that's just holding my hand up in the air the whole show and watching the show through the screen of my phone just so I can get every bit of video for every song. It's like, just, well, let me submit to you. Your wife loves a song. Great. There are some other ways she can hear it. Probably better ways. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, there is that personal thing where it's like, you know, like when I saw Eddie Vedder in London, by the way, mm -hmm. there was a strict no camera policy. Wonderful. However, I was sitting in the basically against the back wall with my buddy doing lighting. And all I did, I just kind of set my phone down and hit record. I wasn't holding it up. doing. I wasn't like distracting, you know? I think that's fine. However, if you had been thrown out, I would have no problem with that. If I got thrown out, I wouldn't have been pissed. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you know what? I did that. Like, I don't want you to be thrown out. I don't. Of course. No, but I definitely you... took a risk by filming that right. song. Like, and if I got thrown out, I, I would have like, uh, I would have shrugged my shoulders and been like, yeah, I fucked up. Yeah. No problem. Hey, guess what? Um, when you drive down the road and it says 45 miles an hour, it means 45 miles an hour. <laughs> if you drive 55 and you get pulled over and get a ticket. I was only going 55. Don't get pissed at the cop. <laughs> That's what happens. I just think people have a confusion about what they're entitled to when they buy a confusion. ticket to a show. Oh, sanity is not, not beyond me. <laughs> My life, the phone that never ends. The phone that never ends. The phone that never ends. <laughs> All right, I'll quit ranting about that. But it was just a trip for me to see the show. I mean, it's it's obviously like a shitty like handheld camera yeah. from like a crew member. Yeah, it's very very odd. Anyway, um, I don't even know why we were talking about that. The MTV icon. Okay, whatever. Now, base auditions. We're getting base auditions. Yeah, and uh. Some of the things I have also learned from the book that I didn't know is that Pepper Keenan is one that James is really excited about because he's really close. Pepper Keenan's a bass player for Corrosion's Conformity. Yeah. He's a big fan of. And he was really stoked about that. And when Pepper was auditioning, he even stayed at James's house. Oh, wow. Crazy. Which is pretty rare because yeah. James is extremely private. Yeah. But what, what Pepper ended up doing was kind of taking himself out of it. Once he kind of got there and saw it, he kind of realized that he wasn't the dude for the job. Wow. And James kind of, because what they did was, and you can see it in the documentary, it's kind of awkward, is they bring him in and they play with him, but they also just let him hang out because they're still working on the record. Yeah, totally. I remember at one point, Lars is like, I feel awkward. Like, I feel like we're not being hospitable. And yeah. James goes, well, Rob told me he feels fine. Yeah. And then Bob's like, I think we need to treat this with respect. That so, would be weird, though, if you're Rob. It's like, it, let's say you get up there, you you like check out some bases and right. go over some stuff by yourself. But, but after the, a while, you're going to be like, um, I thought I was here to audition. Right. Well, because James is cutting a vocal for Frantic. Yeah. And then also, that's not shown necessarily in the film, is that Phil Tao like, did extensive interviews with every one of the people who auditioned. Phil did. Phil did. Gosh. Did kind of like a psychological evaluation. Wow. What was your childhood like? How do you, I mean, you know, what is it you think you're going to bring? It was like a job interview. Well, that, and I would say, you know, <clears throat> what's maybe a plus side to that is Phil is maybe going to unearth <clears throat> what these guys are going to be bringing into this band. What baggage are they going to be bringing? Well, or he's trying to find more performance enhancing coaching gigs. There's that too. Yeah, totally. Let me ask you a question. How many big ass yellow sweaters do you have in your closet right now? Let me ask you this. Answer Rob, it really quick. There's no you, wrong answer. Can you uh, cough up 40 grand a month? Yeah. I won't tell you why, but can you? Hmm. Rob Trujillo just got a $1 million advance. Interesting. Uh, I, could, I could do some performance tips with him. That crab walk could use a little tweaking. 
Yeah, you'd be able to take like that crab walk a little bit. You need bit. to get into yoga too so that crab walk could be like a, a, I don't a know if longer stretch. Enough. I don't know if you're low enough. I really don't. Is I, your tailbone touching the ground? Look, do I have any experience? Roberto. Do I have any experience with crabs? No. Do I have any experience with crab walking? Absolutely not. Are you low enough in your crab walk? I think there's room for improvement there. Yeah. Imagine there's, there's a limbo bar everywhere you go. Yeah. You got to get lower and lower and lower. Lower and lower. How low can you go, Rob? Now, should Kirk, zone that shit. Kirk, speaking of getting in the zone, Kirk, I think you should awkwardly try to do the crab walk too, but instead of bending your legs, you just sort of bend your back like a hunchback. You guys want to work on that maybe for the, <laughs> for the, for the death magnetic tour coming up? In That'd be years? great. Yeah. That, That'd yeah. be really great. Thanks zone guys. It. Zone it, motherfucker. All, it, remember in all things, please zone it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to develop a segment called zone it. Now it's time. It's time to zone it. It's some, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out for you oh, guys. Oh man, life's got you in the dumps. Uh, you lost your job. Zone it. Zone it. Your best friend slept with your wife again for the eighth time. It's okay. Zone it. Zone it. <laughs> Maybe Becky can do a zone it segment. Oh my God. Like she wore the same fucking outfit as me. <sighs> Oh, well, I'm just going to zone it. You got a rock in your shoe? Zone it! Zone it! <laughs> Another thing I learned is that Jordy White also, who auditioned of A Perfect Circle of Marilyn Manson, yeah. um, he took himself out of it, too, after he kind of got there. And he Laura, also, at least in the documentary, like, when it show him, it's not good. No, it's he, not. He's not in tune, or he's just playing out of tune. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Rob really does kill it. I would say the two best performances that they show are Pepper, Keenan, and Rob. Uh, I think, uh, what's the dude's name from the cult? The dude from the cult did okay. I think he did a good job. I think he kind of fit decently well. Like, he's, he was kind of old school metal. Like, yeah. But he's playing with his fingers, which is cool. Right. Um, dude from uh, uh, Jane's Addiction was in there. Dude from Atlantis Morissette. Yeah. A pretty wide variety of guys auditioning for that. It's cool. I mean, it's it's fascinating, and and I you know, I've got nothing but respect for those dudes. You and I do auditions. They're they're not yeah. easy, and no. so and that's the biggest band in the world. It's a really big deal. Could you imagine? Jeez. But but Jordy took himself out because he kind of realized I don't think I I don't think I can handle this. Yeah, I don't think he has the right hand for it. Yeah, I, I agree. can't see Jordy playing Blacken. Right. And I love him. I'm a, I'm a big Manson fan and a huge Perfect Circle fan. So anyway, um, but Lars was upset that Jordy took himself out because Lars is like, I think Lars was excited about him. And, and it, it, the book talks about a little bit, but you know, James really wanted Pepper because of their connection. Right. Lars wanted Twiggy because they're both kind of the, the rock stars. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about the alliances that would have been formed had either of those dudes been in the band. Right, exactly. It would have been, been James and Pepper. Yeah. Totally. And Lars and Kirk don't strike me as particularly close. So, yeah. And then it would have been Lars and Jordy. And now that Rob's in, I think it's a good, like, it's telling that at the end of this movie, when James gets in his personal car to go to the stage, yeah, Rob gets in that car with him. Yeah. It's stuff well, like that, you I think know? it's also like, you know, you have those other guys who said that might, you know, they might have these little alliances formed. Right. I feel like Rob is just kind of there for everybody. Well, because he's surfing buddies with Kirk. Yeah. You know, he's a drinking buddies with Lars. He says he stayed up all night before the audition yeah. drinking with Lars. Yeah, wasn't he wearing like Lars's t-shirt yes. or something? Yeah. Right. He looks weird when he comes back in and they're all clapping after he got his call back. Well, imagine or whatever. how awkward that would but be. He, he's like adjusting his shirt like, oh crap, I think this is it. Like, and I'm, I just woke up in Lars's house hungover. Yeah. That, but imagine, imagine, I, I guarantee you he, he's staying up, staying with Lars. They're tight. They're homies. Yeah. And Lars is probably saying, dude, you got this shit. For sure. For I bet sure. Lars was saying, you know what? We thought it might be Pepper because James ultimately is the yeah. is the homie. But it's you. 
but Pepper took himself out, and you're the fucking dude. That had to have felt great. Had to have felt great, although, talk about getting your hopes up. What if you walked in the next day, and they were like, yep, yeah, sorry. They're clapping, hey, oh, you didn't get it. Yeah, sorry. We're going with, going with the guy from Jane's Addiction. We're going to take Pepper. Yeah. Pepper's in. We're actually going to call out. Les Claypool, who auditioned back after Cliff, and we're going to get him again. Not only are we giving him a million dollars, you owe us a million dollars for losing the audition. Exactly. And you drank all my booze, and you're wearing my t-shirt, motherfucker. <laughs> the invoice is in the mail for all the booze he drank. I'm going to need that t-shirt right now. And Jason already took the Ozzy gig, so you're kind of screwed. One of the things I really like is when they're going over sort of the legalese, the, the lawyers in there. and Yeah. They're kind of telling him what the deal is. So they, we all know this. They gave him a million bucks. And they say, uh, they get 32 votes, they get 32 votes, you get five votes. And immediately James and Lars are like, no, that's bullshit. Yeah. He gets equal votes. Equal, yeah. Right away. Wow. They haven't even played a show together. And you know who you have to thank for that that change of pace? is Jason Newstead. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of the good shit that Rob is getting, the good vibes, the good business is a direct result of what Jason went through. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think that's lost on Rob. I don't say that. In no, that no way, but Jason but... definitely like paved the way for all this right. to kind of be he in made place. it possible. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's cool, you know. Got any wolves out there? <laughs> <laughs> so we do the icon. Um, I, it does bum me out when, when Kirk says, they play, they play Whiplash, I think, and Kirk goes, that hasn't played that way since Cliff. I'm like, dude, don't take fucking stabs yeah, at and, Jason. And with it was Cliff. I don't dig it. Um, I can see his emotion there. There's, there's, but he's there's, angry at Jason there, still. Well, there, yeah, but there, there's something there that, that in Rob's playing that he saw Cliff in. You know, and James well, goes, James like he's got four picks. You know, for, well he goes, yeah, he goes, his fingers are a pick. Yeah. All right, we're on day six eighty four, and uh, sort of the fill. Phil's got to go thing. Phil talks about elements of trust that float with him and James. Um, they show the MTV icon footage. Let's see. What else do we got? Uh, they land on St. Anger as an album title. Lars wanted Frantic. Which would sound cool, too. It's inter- interesting to watch them and Bernstein and they stuff. They kind of talk like, it out. They talk it out, and they're, and they're all kind of saying their piece and stuff. And um, uh, I forget, one of the guys from Q Prime, it says, like, you know, when they, when they settle on St. Anger, he's like, you know, I can see it now, like, St. Anger, Anger Day, day yes. you know? It sounds so good, right? It sounds good, rather than Frantic Day or whatever. Right. Um, well, and Cliff Bernstein's the one who's saying, like, Frantic makes it sound like a band that doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. And Lars, it's kind of a nice moment, because Lars goes, you know what, you're right, I haven't thought of that. Yeah. And they sort of, you know, like adults, decide the name of the record. Yeah. I do think it is a good name for the record. I think so, too. Like, like we've talked about before, the title is good, the artwork is good, yeah. the setup was good. And our, then, fr- our friend Kent Bell on the forums, he's, dude, this dude is really insightful. We got to have him on the show. He's the collector guy. This guy that called you a little bitch. He's not the guy that called me a little bitch or a pussy. Um, he talks about, he, this dude. this dude's kind of a smart cat, philosophical mm-hmm. cat, and he talks about how even the logo, the horns on yeah. the M&A point in on themselves. Yeah. And he, he talks about how in the artwork and the title, it's it's the it's the it's the story of this band looking inward, mm-hmm. inner tension. I thought yeah. that was interesting. I've never really thought of that. Yeah, I haven't either. That's pretty cool. Uh, they do the San Quentin video, which I didn't know that the the band and crew had to be submitted to a strip search to get in there. Oh, it's oh, it's maximum security up there. Yeah, like does that mean like looking for a balloon? I mean, in dude, your that's butt? up there, and Folsom is up there. It's like those are some gnarly ass prisons. But is that like a hand in, finger in your butt? Is that what a uh, strip search include that? Probably. Like you might like James Hetfield might be a fucking drug mule. 
I mean, they have to, you know, they can't take any chances when you're, you know, dealing with, you know, inmates in a maximum security facility. That video is pretty bitchin'. Oh, I love it. it. It's, you know, if you don't like the song or whatever, but like, it's pretty cool. Like just to see them like, no, I like it. I thought it was a good idea. I don't, I don't like the way James looks in it. No, I don't like the beanie thing and like that long sleeve thing shirt. And the, the, and the sort of handlebar mustache. It's yeah. I wish he just took his beanie off and had a t-shirt. It's on a weird look for him. Yeah. I, I prefer the, um, the bookish look even more. Even yeah. though the bookish look is weird. Yeah. It is a little weird, but I mean, overall I thought that I thought the video was well executed. It was a good aggressive looking video. Um, but one of my favorite parts in this same scene is when James goes to address mm-hmm. the prisoners about anger. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. And you can tell how nervous he is to be oh, talking yeah. to these dudes. And when he talks about, you know, had I not done this and that, like I might be in here or worse, you know, not, not around at all. And, and what do you say? Uh, you know, I like being alive or I'd rather be alive. Yeah. It's it's so cool. Well, so it's says, a touching moment. And he says, you know, I'm not here to preach at you. I'm not trying to sell you shit. And he says, you know, we all got the same size soul. Yeah, and that he, was cool. You know, like he just wrapped it up so well. And, and he looked real emotional, you mm-hmm. know. And he says, he, he said, you know, we're we're honored to be in your house. Yeah. So there's just a lot of love and respect. Totally. And when he comes off the deck, Kirk hugged him. Yeah, he gives him a big hug, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I just love that, like, you know, after that, I mean, they, they got to play a show for these dudes. Yeah. Um, well, I think that was part of the part of the deal they worked out for being able to use the prison was yeah. they played a free show yeah. the next day or whatever. Totally, it's cool. I mean, Metallica's done that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, they wanted the place for a video, but they've done those cool little things. They did a, a show in a parking lot in an Oakland Raiders game where they mm-hmm. played on a flatbed truck, like yeah. just cool shit like that. So it's cool that they actually like not only went in there just to shoot a video, but they didn't just bounce. Like they stayed and like. They did a, a, a small show for well, them. Currently, in this moment, right now, as we speak, they're playing uh, for the Bay Area. Um, what's the charity they're playing for right now? Uh, what's it called? It, it's, the Bay it, Area it's, Band Together. Yeah, something like that. It's, it's essentially to raise money for all the Northern California fires right. and stuff for um, the families that lost their homes. And, right. Exactly. Um, I think they're technically going on stage in about thirty-five minutes. Okay. Cool. Well, let's wrap this up so we can watch it. Anyways, that's been episode 48. We'll see you next, next week. Well, so the film ends with them, and it, the, the stylistically what they wanted to show is their triumphant return to the stage. It's this huge show yeah. in Italy, and it's a bummer for me because they play Frantic, and it sounds pretty pretty rough. It doesn't sound great. It's not a triumphant ending to me. Yeah. Like, they play a Golden. It's like, holy shit, and there's all this good footage kind of of James's pre-show ritual. A lot of the pre-show stuff before they show them playing Frantic, there's a point where James is in the car mm-hmm. and he looks terrified. Yeah. I'm sure he was. Like, oh, what, here we go again. Like, am I going to fall off the wagon? This and that, you know? And and then you see that good moment of them on the side of the stage and he like gives Rob like the double fist. Yeah. They kind of huddle together and it's like, all right, here we go, you know? Um, well, what's cool is at the end of that, at, at the end of the credits, you know, it, it kind of flashes forward to the end of the show mm-hmm. and they're all kind of on the corners of the stage like we've seen him do right yeah. saying bye Lars is doing his stick thing and then at the end of it they come together and they all hug in the middle and Phil was at that show and the book talks about how Phil just broke down crying wow because he, he said what I just saw them do is everything that we worked for that's them cool coming together that's cool them being strong again yeah and I thought you know maybe it is true that without Phil this band wouldn't be here anymore and I mean, if that and if that if that is true, if that really is true, 
I got nothing but love and respect for him. Right, yeah. For keeping my favorite band together through such a fucked I mean, up time. J- j- you know, James has nothing but great things to say about him. Right. And he talks, he talks about him being his angel. Right. You know, I mean, how would they have dealt with any of this heavy shit without someone like that? I mean, Bob Rock couldn't do it. Right. Maybe to an extent he could sit I, I, there. I think but... he was a big part of it. Yeah. I think, I think Bob yeah. Bob brought a lot of a lot of good sauce to, yeah, the, to he, that he, era. He brought a lot of good insight to things they were dealing with, you yeah. know? Um, from an outsider as well as an insider. Like, he, he, he's been on both sides of the fence. So he was able to throw out good opinions, good thoughts, you know, good advice, whatever. Um, but Phil, I mean... Yellow sweater wearing dude. I just I don't want to like him, but I, I mean he is. If he's not the reason, he's a big part of why they're still together. I think it's worth mentioning that you know it's now been fifteen years. Yeah, the film holds up. It holds up. It might even be getting better. If you haven't watched that ever or or in a long time, you have to go watch it again. And you know, <clears throat> through all the struggle, is it going to be an infomercial? No, we got we got something deeper. Oh, it's going to yeah. maybe be a TV thing. No, we want to get deeper. Electra's freaking out because of their investment. Metallica says, well, we'll just buy it. We want to own it. We want control. Yeah. Yep. Well, we can't put it out in time to promote the record, which is what it was supposed to be. Well, fuck it. We believe in this movie. Yeah. From, from it going from that all these years later, for it to sort of be, it's like a real film. Yeah, it totally is. Um, Absolutely. It makes me, it's one of the many things that makes me proud of, proud of our band. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm proud of these dudes. I am too. Yeah. I've told you this before and maybe even on the show that like, especially James and this thing, like it makes me so proud of that, of that guy. Me too. The decisions he made to choose his family over this big Metallica thing, but then somehow make it coexist and slowly develop that into a healthy relationship on both ends. Right. Is very, very admirable. Yeah. I think so too. And he's what, 15, 15 plus years sober now. So yeah, it's, it's a success story. It is. Yeah. And it's an inspiration. What can we say? You're the inspiration. There we go. Bring meaning to my life. Yeah. Do do go on. Then it's you're the inspiration again. <laughs> I wanna have We're you just gonna talk through. Oh God. There's like five key changes in that song, by the way. Yeah. Well that's what he's known for. Oh Peter Sotero loves a good key change. Well, that's some kind of monster part two. I'm glad we gave it two two sessions, you know, because yeah. it I think it deserved it. And it's uh, a lot of stuff. We do want to know what you guys think. Metal up your podcast show at gmail.com. Yep. Even if we don't read it on the show, which chances are pretty good we will, but Ethan and I take pride in the fact that we really do try to respond to you guys and yeah. we really do love the listeners of the show. Of course, yeah. We're we really love, grateful for it all. So speaking so of much. that. Um, get on, get on the ride with the iTunes review so yep. you can win shit. We're, we're going to be announcing that, I guess, at the end of the month yeah, for and the then, first batch. Yeah. And then, and then obviously as we've drilled in before, like follow us on social media, cause we're going to start doing future contests that are maybe Twitter specific, Instagram, Instagram, uh, specific. Facebook, so Twitter. Yeah. Follow us on those things just so you can have a chance to win something cool. And, you know, I would just say in general, just if you, if you want to support the show in any way, whether that's help correcting us when we're wrong, or if you have suggestions about how to move uh, they forward. They actually covered Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to bring that up again. Um, you know, we, we're just normal fans like you guys. Yeah. We just happen to be extremely attractive, uh, extremely well-endowed, and we have lots of microphones and gear. Yeah. And let's not mention, uh, uh, not forget to mention um, our just glisteny beautiful abs oh well they, they mentioned a six pack yeah i have a 24 pack 
It's true, guy. I'm looking at it right now. I have a 24,000 pack. <laughs> I have so many abs. This is all over my face. Abs everywhere. You should see a doctor about that, actually. Yeah, a face doctor? Or yeah, an you have doctor. abs on is your face. Is it a face doctor or an ab doctor? Ooh, good question. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. I'm sorry. I can't all right, we'll consult Google. <laughs> hey, thanks for all of you for hanging in there with us. Um, we got some fun shit. We're going to have our friend Paul Moak next week to talk about Greg Fiddleman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Paul is making his triumphant return to the Metal Pure Podcast. We're going to be revisiting Hardwired, which I'm super stoked to do. It's yes. been a year. It'll be a year on November 18th, yeah. And I've, I have new revelations about the record. I think you do too. As do I, yeah. Um, we've got our friend Tom Quee coming on in December. Yeah, and we got some good stuff coming. We've up. got some fun shit, and yeah. we've got our we've got our one year anniversary show. Yeah, we're 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 planning that out, and uh, we'll get some more details about that hopefully very soon. And uh, that's going to be a fucking good time, even if it's just you and me and like our wives. Oh, my wife! My wife's not going to be there, dude. My wife will come just because <laughs> she can hang out and have drinks with her friends and watch us. You know, my wife might come. We might be able to get a sitter for that. Let's let's do it. Maybe James Hetfield can watch my kid while we Perfect, while yeah. We do that. Uh, Kirk's going to be here to watch my dogs and cats. So. <laughs> He's a big fan. So. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been fun. We'll see you next week. Peace. Adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs> <laughs>